This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 8, Episode 4. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. And today is, let's see, Wednesday, February 8th. 2023 as of the recording of this episode we welcome you to this episode <laughs> where's my script Matthew? <laughs> i was thinking that about halfway through the you, you, you know your intro i'm like man i probably should have given this guy a, a script <laughs> <laughs> well as uh you as if you can tell uh it, it's me and matthew hey guys <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host Riley Bowman, and today I'm also joined by co-host and producer Matthew Marister. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Who failed to give you? Who failed to give you a script? Yeah, I'll get it right next. Failing time. at his job as producer. <laughs> no, it's the same script, dang near every time, right? But uh, I just had a momentary lapse of <laughs> anything there. <laughs> Hey, uh, we are glad to be with you today. We're going to be discussing today drawing your pistol with cold weather gear. It is it's probably an episode that would have been appropriate even a couple of months ago, uh, but we are in the kind of heart, if you will, of, of winter. Uh, at least it's about the middle of winter for us here in Colorado as we tend to get snow all the way up through the end of April and sometimes even into May. But uh it's still colder weather. You guys are probably wearing coats, jackets, hoodies, gloves, things of that nature. So we're going to talk about how to deal with those things in the colder weather and still needing to access and draw your gun for self-defense. Today's episode sponsored brought to you by, first up, we have the LASR app. LaserApp.com is the place to go. That is spelled L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. Uh, they are sponsors of not only this episode today, but also of the Shooter Ready Challenge, which was recently published, uh, which actually covers a very similar topic. And so, yeah, we thank LASRapp.com for their support of the podcast and of Shooter Ready Challenge. I use a Laser X version together with uh, something like a CERT pistol, right, like this, or even a laser dot trainer from ReadyUp Gear. You can use with your live pistol and put it in the chamber and it will project a laser when you press the trigger. Many of you are probably familiar with such things now. You probably have seen them around uh, enough now and, or even seen advertisements for similar products. If you head on over to readyupgear.com, you can pick up your own laser dot trainer, very reasonably and affordably priced allowing you to use your pistol, the actual gun that you practice, train, and shoot with and carry with the laser dot trainer and incorporate that together with things like Laser X software. And also today's episode sponsored by BarrelBlock, BarrelBlock.com. That's where you can find them. Here's one right here, right? You're going to insert that through the chamber and barrel of your respective pistol, whether it's a 9mm 40 45, 380 ACP, or even uh, 357 SIG, which isn't as popular around anymore, but uh, we do have those available. Or you can also get them for your for your rifles. This, you know, it's obviously a rifle barrel length, so I can't quite fit it all in view in the camera. But guys, go to check out barrelblock.com for safe, 
dry fire practice. Let's get into today's topic. So drawing your pistol with cold weather. Actually, we could just even say like using your pistol within in cold weather <laughs> or with cold weather sure. gear. Uh, I don't know if Matthew wants to go, you know, super down in the rabbit hole because we could talk about things like gloves and 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 and, and all of that as well. But pri- primarily, I came here today with the intent of uh, starting by talking about things like the coats and jackets and things that we wear, uh, secondary cover gar- garments, because typically we will probably be, you know. Uh, wearing just like a shirt or something over top, you know, like I'm wearing my t-shirt here today and I am carrying concealed underneath that. Uh, But once you start adding another layer of clothing, things get more difficult potentially, right? Mm -hmm. So we're adding additional variables. So, I mean, well, let's start, let's start the discussion here today, Matthew, by talking about the idea of, and this, is, this comes up quite a bit when the seasons change and people will say, well, you know, it's that time of year again. I'm going to go to, you know, my other carry option or setup or whatever that is. The idea being that yeah. there's sort of like, you know, people have a different carry setup, you know, different gun even, different holster, different carry position uh, in the colder weather than they do in the during the warm weather. What's your uh, What's your thought on that? Yeah. So, I mean, all right. So I, I carry the same gun in the summertime that I do in the wintertime. Um, but probably not for the same reason that everybody, you know, might assume Um, a lot of people will say like, Oh, well, you know, you're building muscle memory with one gun and, and then you'll go to another gun and, you know, you won't even know what you're doing. Right. Like, because it's, you know, slightly bigger or whatever. Right. Um, but I, that's not really why I don't. I, I I think for for one, you know, keeping keeping the same gun, the same holster, the same position carry of carry, it makes it more simple. It doesn't right. Like um, I'm not saying that you can't train to draw from you know a, a, a outside the waistband strong side holster and the appendix. Like it's so different that you'll never be able to accomplish it. And when it comes to you know you need to draw the gun, you're going to go to, you know, some other position. I'm not saying that, but it does make it easier if you have and train one position, one gun, and, 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 you know, you're familiar with that. And, and for me, I, I like to keep it simple. Um, and there's also like, <laughs> I, I mean, some people might think that I have tons and tons of guns and holsters and so I, I have a lot of holsters and stuff, but, um, I don't have like a lot of carry guns. I, I have a, you know, as far as carry guns, I, I, you know, I probably have three that I, I even, um, you know, would consider in, in some sort of a rotation or, you know, um, depending on, you know, what, what the situation is, but, um, but, you know, I, I, I just think that, um, it's, it's more expensive if you, have to set up three guns with three optics. If you, if that's your thing, right. Three different holsters. Um, it, you know, it took me a while to get the right, my holster dialed in with my, with my gun and feel real comfortable with how it, how it carried. And, and, um, in, you know, frankly, maybe I'm just lazy and I don't want to go through that process with another gun, but so, you know, I think that there is, uh, that's, that's my, my take, but certainly, 
And, and, and here's the other thing. Like, I don't see um, if, if something's good enough for the summertime, then it probably should be good enough for the winter. Like capacity wise, I'm not going to say like, okay, I'm, I'm just skipping by in the summertime with a low capacity, but really in this wintertime, you know, I can, I can get, you know, if, if I, I look for a gun that I, I think, you know, fits the criteria that I'm looking for, for a carry gun and whether that's summer or winter, I want it to fit, you know? So, um, so that's kind of where I am. But if somebody wants to carry a, a different gun or, you know, I'm, I'm not of the, the mindset or the dogmatic approach that like, you know, when the time comes, you're going to go f- to draw your gun from an OWB holster and it's not going to be there because, you know, you got 12 less reps, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not here to like tell anybody what they should do in this regard, you know, or like, oh, you know having a, a gun rotation like ah, that's that's a that's that's a terrible idea bro no I, i'm not here to really do that but um but i have seen this tendency amongst some concealed carriers to sort of have like this rotation right the idea of this rotation of like wow well it, it, and so actually broadening this out beyond just talking about cold weather and warm weather but just talking about the idea of having some kind of concealed carry rotation uh, i mean again like if you want to do that like knock yourself out I, you know it's a free country you can do that but let's talk about that as a as a concept um mm-hmm. so you know i used to think that uh well there was a time where i actually kind of had a could carry rotation myself uh, back when I was a little bit less experienced. And, you know, I just didn't, you know, know a whole lot. Didn't, you know, wasn't a super serious concealed carrier, meaning that I didn't really think through all of the different nuances and the ramifications of what carrying a different gun in a different holster, maybe a different position. Uh, I didn't think through all of that, you know, and there, there are some definite, potential downsides of taking that approach especially when you're lesser skilled like i certainly was you know a decade plus ago and so you know the problem there is that you know as we develop skill as shooters at first that skill is i mean number one it's it's still developing it's not particularly very high and so it's going to be influenced more greatly by Things like factors like, you know, a changing a gun, having a different grip, uh, having even the, you know, little nuanced things like maybe even such as the grip angle being a little bit different from gun to gun and or uh, the reach from, you know, to, to the trigger on the gun and uh, different sights. And, you know, there's all these potential things that I look at and go, well, I don't see that as being uh personally now as big a deal but i'm also a lot different at a lot different place in my skill than i was you know a long time ago uh meaning that i can look back now and kind of see how some of that may have been problematic and so uh because like for now i can kind of i can pretty much grab or pick up just about any gun and be pretty effective with it i mean i certainly have my preferences and i certainly see some noticeable differences you know from one gun to another gun no- noticeable in that i notice them because i i pay attention to metrics and data you know as far as 
hits on target and the time it takes to do them and you know what that looks like on the draw what that looks like in transitions what that looks like in all kinds of things i also pay attention to the more nuanced things like you know i i picked up a student's gun at a class this last weekend uh because he was complaining about his sights and not being able to see him very good and i'm like let me take a look at that i'm like, sure enough yeah totally get it <laughs> like those are those are not ideal sights uh to be able to see them in a variety of lighting conditions and be able to read them at speed, especially. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with those kinds of things. I can pick up again, though, pretty much any gun and perform, you know, let's say if I have my, my best performing gun in my hands, whatever that is, a lot of people probably have an idea what that is, but uh, let's say I've got that right probably just about any gun you put in my hand, I could probably shoot it 80, uh, no, no worse than 85% of my maximum, you know, potential. Uh, I've done some tests with, you know, going for my full size gun and then shooting my drill standards that I use in my classes and being able to still, you know, perform around 92 to 93% with a, basically a micro compact size gun. So, but I think that that's more of a, or less of an issue when you have practiced a lot and actually have a fairly high level skill, all right, which is not everybody. Not everybody cares to pursue shooting skill to the level I have over the last five, six, seven years. Um, not, everybody, not everybody's able to put in the amount of work that it takes to get to that point. Um, not everybody cares enough. Uh, so we got to have these, these considerations in mind. So, um, if, again, I, just to summarize, I'm of the opinion that the gun doesn't matter as much for me and probably for a lot of people, it doesn't matter as much as what they think it does. But if you're a little bit fresher on the, uh, other end of the skill development, you know, spectrum with respect to running a pistol, especially in a defensive context, uh, you might want to be a little more careful, I would say, or at least give a, a, some more thought about switching things up in your carry rotation or your uh, CCW, you know, stable of guns. And and, to, and it's not just about the gun, but also, again, the, the holster that can affect things, uh, carry position, the ride height of the holster, can't, you know, all these things could be factors that could, uh, you know, throw a wrench into your ability to draw your, your pistol and use it effectively. So there's some yeah. of my initial. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, in, in one of those things is, you know, it, are you divide And again, I'm not saying that if you shoot one gun, you'll pick up another gun. And it'll be uh, you know completely foreign to you, but you should practice with both guns. If you're regularly going to carry both guns, you know what I mean? And, and at least so, so you can go through the manual of arms and operations. And, 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 and so um, I think that, you know, with, with the average person and we, we know this and people that are w- listening to this are probably, you guys are probably in the, I don't know, Riley, you, you might have a better idea, but I would estimate like 5% of people that actually are conducting dry fire on a regular, you know, regular routine, a regular basis, um, you know, going to the range 
you know, at least periodically, you know, um, that, that, that's not your average concealed carrier. I, I, and so, um, if you're looking at a, a condensed amount of training time that you have and training budget and, 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 and you know, um, to add other guns into that and other gear that could go wrong, or you have to zero this, you know, optic or check the bag, like all those things start to take time. And, and instead of becoming really proficient in one area and, and your gear squared away and, and ready to go, like it, it starts to, you know, um, I think that y- you can, I don't know, kind, kind of um, get spread too thin a little bit maybe. And so, um, you know, making it simple and, and it, it is definitely an approach that I take um, in a lot of, a lot of my life. I'm a simple dude. So like, same. So that kind of, same. yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't like to change things up very much. I like to keep it simple as well. Uh, I mean, for, for instance, I'll, I'll just tell you right now, uh, I've been carrying pretty much exclusively for the last little while uh, a, well, it's not an X macro, uh, but it's the P365XL that I've had for a couple of years now, uh, at least the slide and barrel portion of it that I put on to an, uh, an X macro grip module. And I'll say I really like this little combination. Uh, it is substantially smaller than my full-size P320s. It is larger than the P365 and P365XL, you know, the standard base models. Uh, in, in in all the right ways, the the grip has greater circumference to it. It fills the hand better. I get a f- true full, you know, full grip. And I've got, you know, pretty meaty hands. Uh, my palms are fairly wide. And so uh, I can get, you know, my whole hand on the gun. It's got the same capacity as my full-size P320. Uh, it's, it's very, very usable, uh, as a, as a gun. I haven't completed doing all the testing, performance testing that I'd like to do with it yet. And by that, I mean, I, I really want to see where my skill stacks up with it. Uh, you know, and compare that to all the data that I have on running my full size guns, but having shot a P365 XL at 90 three-ish percent of and and only having done that really one time at least running my my standards uh and comparing that to what i typically see for my full-size guns i mean i i suspect having a full proper grip on the x on this uh kind of this x macro combination that I'll, i'll be able to you know run it a little bit better certainly i feel confident i could shoot it at about 95 96 maybe more percent of, uh, you know, what I can do with a, with a full size P320 in my hand, but it's substantially smaller and conceals. It, it, it conceals about as well as my 365 XL did. Uh, yeah, I can't say exactly as well, but you know, cause it is slightly bigger, but it's a great combination for someone like me. I'm, I'm a pretty you know, large guy, six foot three, 240 pounds. You know, I, I can conceal a full size gun pretty well, uh, this conceals awesome, but I think brings ninety-five plus percent of the performance capability, you know, for me. And so uh, that that's a combination that's that's hard to beat. I, I would say, you know, super concealable, good performance, easy to shoot for me. Uh, that's why it's kind of become my main carry now. Uh, I used to carry three twenties all the time. 
And, uh, you know, for a good stretch there, it was my go-to on a daily basis. And then I'd revert to the 365 XL when I, you know, just for whatever needs, for whatever reason needed a slightly smaller gun for, uh, situations where I needed to be a little bit more concealed. You know, maybe that's cause I was dressing down a little bit, uh, uh, or more comfortably or whatever that might be. Right. And so. Anyway, yeah, I like to keep it simple. And that's that's what I'm running right now, right? Now, I remember there was a time where during the cooler weather, I would go from my usual carry holster and position and all that, you know, inside the waistband and go to like a three o'clock outside the waistband holster that I knew that, you know, outside I would, I'd have a coat or jacket over top of. And let's talk about that from like a realistic perspective. So, you know, we talked about the potential downsides of someone, you know, switching up between guns and gear and holsters and carry positions and things like that. However, if, if you're going to kind of switch back and forth between say like a three o'clock OWB setup and maybe some kind of, whether it's appendix or, or behind the hip IWB setup, um, Arguably, the slightly behind the hip, or even at three three o'clock, you can still carry inside waistband. Uh, not as many people do when they do IWB carry, but but that that's arguably a lot less different going from that to an, a three o'clock OWB setup um, as compared to say an AIWB. So in front, you know, forward of the hips, uh, one two o'clock, um, going from that to a three o'clock OWB setup. That, that'd be a little bit more of a change. But even if you want to like make that argument and say, hey, you know, it's, it's, that could throw you off by going from appendix carry to three o'clock OWB and then back again when things warm up, you know, in the warmer months again. Um, realistically, a person, if they're diligent enough and practicing enough, doing enough dry fire, uh, you know, when the weather starts changing, the fall comes, you start switching up the carry setup. You start practicing that, start dry firing that. In relatively short order, you can, you know, kind of tune yourself up to the... Reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of reboot, relearn uh, what you've perhaps already learned before. Or even if you're learning an entirely new carry position, holster, gun, all of that. um, If you practice every night in dry fire for like 15 minutes probably in two weeks time, not even that, maybe some of you, uh, just depending on how diligent you are and how disciplined you are and how purposeful your practice is. I mean, in really not much time at all, a few days, a few weeks, you should be able to sort of rewire the brain uh, for that new setup, that new gun, that new carry position. Now, one thing that's also important with this, and I think this is important even no matter how you carry, and even if you don't switch things up, uh, regular dry fire practice is super important. And by that, I mean, at the very least, if you're carrying a gun seriously for defensive use, meaning I walk out the day to, out the door out the door today, not knowing if today's going to be the day I need I need to use my gun, uh, I, I should do you know it, it's a good practice to get into the habit of doing some practice draws before you do that, or at least just doing some practice draws on a, on a daily basis. Uh, if you have some kind of 
make ready routine that you follow in the morning, that's not a bad idea. Getting ready for the day, wake up, shower, get dressed, eat breakfast, you know, get and you go to get strapped, you know, with your gun and stuff. Um, yeah, you, you can, if it's already loaded, uh, you can unload it really quickly, or maybe you put your gun away at night, unloaded, whatever you prefer, but unload it, check it, double check it, maybe throw a barrel block in real quick. Cause these are easily to put in and remove if you, if you need to and do like 10 or 20 reps really quick, because not just that, not just the sheer number of repetitions that you do over, you know, the course of time, uh, not only does that add up in terms of your ability and skill to perform this motor skill of drawing the gun and utilizing it, uh, but also how recently you've done that is hugely beneficial. Uh, if you have it fresh in your mind, like, hey, this morning I did 20 reps of coming out of my holster and getting up on target, making sure that everything was dialed in as it should be, that my sights came right up to my eye as I presented it out to the target. Uh, not only will you will that be f- more fresh in the mind and those 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 circuits in the brain are you have been recently used so that they're ready to fire again should they be called upon, but you'll also have a greater degree of confidence. And that's important too. Now, what's your, what's your take on all, the, you know, kind of this angle of this current discussion, Matthew? Yeah, I, 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 I like the fact that you talked about confidence because um, I, I think that that does factor into, certainly you can be overconfident, um, but you could also be, you know, underconfident or not trusting or even aware of your skills or, um, you know, I'm not even, you know, I, I know how I performed um, months ago at this class I took, but I haven't, I haven't taken my gun out. I haven't drawn, I haven't done anything. And, um, and, you know, I really, how much have my skills degrade? We know that skills degrade, you know, over time. Um, and, so to to know your skills at any given set or or your ability at ever, any given moment is important in how you respond because if my draw time if I know my draw time let's just say for conversation is a second and I can understand how long that's going to take me based off of you know this guy who might have a knife or whatever he's doing then I can say I have enough time to draw at this moment, or I have to wait for another moment. If I if, if I don't know, and I think my draw time's a second, or at least it was six months ago, but I have a practice, my draw time might be a second and a half, or maybe two seconds. I don't know, but that that you know affects my how I respond to a threat potentially. Um, and that's just one 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 way. But um, I, I like the i you know the idea of recency in, in, in doing those things, even if it's, you know, not a high rep, repetition number, but frequent uh, recency. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the dude that like, I would study for a test, but really I was cramming like right before the test because, you know, and, and, and sure that's memory wise, but like, you know, I, I, I think that there is a, a principle there too about recency and being able to recall stuff and whether it's, um, you know, a, a fact in, in a book or, you know, neuro firing, you know, how your, how, how your brain is telling your, you know, your muscles to fire in a certain pattern or, or method. Um, I think there's some, you know, some, some crossover there. So, 
Yeah, I I I, I appreciate you bringing yeah. that up. What other ideas do you have on uh, today's topic? Yeah, I think you know we're talking about cover garments, and um, I, I you know I think that there's a couple different ways um, that we you know you can look at it, and you, I liked how you mentioned I forget the phrase you used um, uh, secondary cover garment or secondary. Uh, I think you call it secondary cover yep. garment. Um, you know, what in you in the shooter ready challenge video, you do a good job of showing like, um, you know, with a, with a jacket, you know, typically people throw on a jacket um, and you mentioned hoodies and stuff like that. Um, I've, you know, for me, um, one of the things that I've done and it, obviously this is, you know, depends on climate and the actual temperature and all that. But like, I've tried to keep my exterior garment still one layer and then layer underneath that, like behind the gun. So, you know, like it's weird. I'll put on like a t-shirt and then like a, you know, one, a, a thermal shirt, you know, a tight thermal shirt to all that tucked in behind and then throw like a hoodie sweater over it. So like I have those three layers, but really only one is over top of my gun. And for me, you know, that, that that's worked for me in certain, certain things. Certainly, you know, you can't do that in all situations, but um, just different ways of thinking about how you approach cold weather, um, you know, be it how cold it is, the climate, what you're, how you carry, what position you carry in, um, you know, in, in, because that really, I, in, in that video, you talked about like, there's a difference between whether your jacket is zipped up or whether it's open. There's a difference between the, you know, maybe the material or how heavy your jacket is and, and all those things play a role. And so, you know, if we're going with that simple approach and trying to minimize what we're doing, you know, if you have three different jackets, you wear sometimes sweaters, sometimes it, it really, if you don't do that recency of taking a few draws, the draw stroke is very complex. Like there's a, I don't want to say complex, but there's a lot of things going on, especially when you start throwing extra layers of clothes and different materials and thicknesses. And lit. so, um, so yeah, I think, you know, practicing with, with your setup and figuring out what works for you and what you can tolerate out in the cold and, and how that works is, is something that, um, if you live in a, a climate that gets cold, you sh you should definitely consider trying uh, trying different methods. I guess. Yeah, um, those are really good thoughts, man. Uh, I think the the secret weapon for cooler weather for concealed carriers, frankly, is the hoodie, because I think the hoodie is one of the the, the best cooler weather uh, over garments that that you can wear just in terms of they conceal really well generally speaking uh you know they, they're they got a little bit of weight to the material they they just tend to you know fall over top of any gear that you have underneath and uh not generally get too disturbed by the butt of a gun or that kind of thing you know and in fact typically especially if you carry appendix where you have most hoodies have you know a, a pocket you know, a big pocket at the front, right? That's double layer. That's even better from a anti-printing, you know, perspective, if you will. The other thing that's great about hoodies is there's a lot of material to grasp a hold of, but it's also somewhat stretchy material too. So whereas a lot of jackets, 
like the jacket I have sitting over here, uh, just a few feet away from me. I mean, it, it, it's it, the material on that's actually got a little bit of stretch, but it's not nearly the kind of stretch that you get from like a hoodie. Cause a hoodie is a lot more similar to a, to a t-shirt, to a thick t-shirt than it is a, an actual jacket or coat. And so you can grasp them and, and pull them up and, and they, they clear really nicely to present access to the gun. Uh, they, they also, by nature of, you know, most of them will have like a hem at the bottom and they tend to sort of like fold over that hem a little bit and that, that creates this perfect grasping area. I mean, you can grasp with the belly button if that's your preferred method, that, that certainly works really well too. For me, I tend to grab primarily the hem of my shirts or my hoodies or whatever, and hoodies work really well in that, in that aspect. I can, I can get a faster, more consistent drop with a hoodie than, uh, than I typically can with just like a t-shirt. So, so they're really, really, you know, I'd wear, I'd wear a hoodie almost every day, every day of the year. If I, you know, I could get away with it, you know, in the summer, uh, I guess some people mm-hmm. probably, you know, I see some people wear hoodies in, <laughs> in the summertime. They're mm-hmm. usually the guys I keep an eye out for. <laughs> um, anyway, so, um, yeah, and, and yeah, like I, I've I've taken that approach too, where it's like, okay, I'll tuck my shirt and stuff, or an undershirt, you know, all of that behind the gun, so that all I have to worry about is the hoodie uh, to get it out of the way. Uh, but I, I've also had times where I didn't take the time to to tuck everything in, and uh, as I mentioned in the video, the shooter ray challenge video, that is, uh, there, I've I've kind of come up with this method. I haven't seen anybody else talk about it anywhere where I, you know, take like the, here's the bottom hem of my shirt. And if you can imagine, I know not everybody can see this because you're listening maybe to the audio feed only, but if you can imagine taking the hoodie that goes over top and kind of taking the bottom hem and you can actually fold it up underneath and around the bottom hem of the shirt. And it's really simple to do and surprisingly works really, really well. I've never had a problem with that like un- coming undone because and I do a ton of practice draws. I I I probably in all honesty do fifty draws a day because uh, I I just I just do. It's sort of like this compulsive you know behavior that I have that I've developed, and I've never had a problem with uh, with that method or like what you described of tucking things in behind the gun and then just having the hoodie over top. So hoodies, big thumbs up, super uh, great option for cooler weather wear and in terms of being able to actually access your gun. Uh, they really don't change very much uh, from warmer weather clothing uh, when they're set up uh, you know, the right way. Let's talk about uh, in, in the Shooter Challenge, I focused a little bit more on the idea of like an open front uh, jacket or coat type uh, setup, which is actually my preference. Uh, if I'm going to have an actual coat or jacket over top, uh, I, where possible, I like to re- let the front remain open uh, for access uh, because as soon as we zip that up, we start restricting access in a big way. It, it's not that it can't be done. It's just that it's a lot more difficult. So if we have an open front jacket, it's pretty straightforward. I'm going to basically use my dominant hand to and I like to go in with kind of a, a C shape, you know, like a cup, if you will, with my with, with my hand and go basically straight into the sternum or the center line of my body and then rip that away. 
So just go in with the hand, rip that back to the side. This is true whether I'm coming from 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, or from appendix carry. Because even at appendix carry, sometimes it's, you know, you, you think that you're mostly open there, but sometimes you can still get kind of hung up in the in the jacket if you if you don't get a little bit of that front portion of it uh, cleared out of the way. The support hand then is going to, for me, since I'm coming from appendix carry primarily most times, so I, I with an open front jacket, I still got to have a shirt over top of the gun. So dominant hand's responsible for ripping back the right side, in my case, since I'm right-handed, part of the jacket. Support hand goes for my shirt, clears it up out of the way, and then dominant hand goes to the gun and draws. Uh it's it's a, obviously a multi-step process, but with practice, you can get to where it becomes quite fluid and very, very fast. Um, typically, I will see about a 0.10 to 0.20 increase in my draw times to access and draw the gun, which isn't a huge penalty uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Generally, it's it's really close. It's honestly it's closer to about 0.1 seconds increase. So I'm pretty consistent drawing my gun in or around a second or less in a, a typical cover garment setup. Adding a jacket, and I'm pretty consistent hitting it in about 1.1, 1.15. So now that that may not be the case for for you, uh, but the point is is even if your typical draw is 1.5. I would certainly think that you could get it done with a jacket and everything in the way if you practice in 1.7. That would be like worst case scenario, in my opinion, if you actually practice it. But that's the key here because, and this is the discussion that needs to be had. And this, this is why this was the inspired topic of this most recent Shooter Ready Challenge uh, video because I want you to actually practice this. Okay. Because how many of you have actually practiced? I mean, I know many of you watching and listening have because you are serious concealed carry practitioners. But I know some that are listening to my voice haven't practiced this. Maybe they've maybe they've practiced standard draws from standard clothing and cover garments. But I mean, I know there was a time for me when I was you know newer at this that I. I didn't practice drawing when I was, you know, wearing a coat or jacket or whatever. I didn't practice it nearly enough that as I should. And so instead of a 1.5 to a 1.7 draw, your 1.5 second draw might be 2.25. Who knows? Maybe it even adds another second. Who knows? Maybe because you haven't practiced, you don't realize until the moment that, you know, that, that you really truly need that gun and you get hung up somewhere along the way. You get your hand tangled up in the in the coat or the gun tangled up somewhere your your grip gets compromised and everything just goes to pot you know in all honesty yeah. a 1.5 second draw can turn into a 3.5 second draw just as you're fiddling around trying to solve you know whatever problem that has suddenly developed because of something that you didn't practice in your dry fire yeah, and you make a point. You're talking about times and it, right, like, and I think um, this brings up one of those. It's not as much as it was a few years ago, but a, a taboo topic amongst some self-defense shooters about using shot timers or some sort of metric, right? Like, 
And, and the point is, is that not just practice, not just to practice, but practice with either at the very minimum, a shot timer with a part time or, um, you know, um, something like the LASR Laser X software and, and somewhere where you can get a metric because what you, I think what you what you're saying and, and I think if you know if you have this metric to track you'll see that early on when you first adopt you know maybe practicing with the different cover cover garment that gap between your typical draw time and the draw time with that, say, whatever garment it is, it, you know, maybe let's say for a conversation, the difference is a, a second, but as you practice, that time will become shorter, the, the difference will become shorter, but you'll never know that if you just say, well, I feel like I'm getting faster or I've done my reps. And, and so not only will you not know precisely what it is and, you know, you you might not have to go down to the you know tenth uh, second, but you, you you won't really know if you're making incremental steps one way or the other. It's all just based off of your feeling or emotion, which isn't always a great indicator of how we're doing. And um, and and so you you have no you have no metric to go off of. And so um, when you see those times coming down and you see, okay, it only really, like you said, only gives you 0.2 seconds or, um, you know, a, a difference, say that gives you confidence. Right. And we go back to that confidence of like, yeah, I, I, I might be slower, but I'm not much slower. It, 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 and, and you can quantify that. And, and so I, I think it, it goes into your state of mind and, and your ability to, to, to carry your firearm, be confident in your abilities, what, 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 you know, um, what your performance level is at any given time. And I think you can only do that if you're having some sort of metric that you're, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're going off of. Yeah. Yeah. Super important to measure and know these things uh, so that you know what you're dealing with. Uh, you know, that's actually one of the reasons why we use the laser X software in the shooter Ray challenge uh, to demonstrate how even those metrics can be gathered in dry fire practice as well to a high degree of accuracy. So that's a, that's a huge component there that, in my opinion, it's not only important to measure data of performance in live fire where you can, but also to try to measure that in dry fire as well. Uh, let's see. Let's talk some more about some other options here. We've talked about hoodies. We've talked about open front garments. Uh, let me touch on one other thing real quick, and that is the idea of trying to get away with the minimum, you know, thing possible by that, uh, you know, where possible, I try to, you know, I try to evaluate the weather and my activities and, and choose my overgarments uh, with access in mind, right? The ability to access my, my gear, but also that I know I'm not compromising myself uh, in terms of comfort or, safety even right uh, as far as uh, being you know caught off guard or getting in trouble in the outdoors weather if it's super super cold uh, but where possible I try to operate in minimums there meaning so uh, where the minimum you know level of coat that I can get away with that I'm you know confident will get the job done and sometimes I'll wear more more layers underneath so that I can get away with an open front jacket or coat over top so I don't have to zip it as much, right? But there's going to be times where you 
still need to zip things up, you know, bundle yourself up a little bit tighter. Now, I'd like to think that in those kinds of extreme weather conditions uh, where it's really cold, you probably don't have to worry as much about, you know, violent offenders. But actually, as I remember a friend of mine mentioning a few weeks ago, uh, there was some kind of, you know, homicide or something that occurred up in the Minnesota region uh, in like below zero temps. So, you know, bad stuff still goes down. So that's the point. You know, one point to make, I guess, is don't let your guard down because just because it's ridiculously cold, you know, the, the, the type where, uh, you know, you spit and it freezes before it hits the ground or something, uh, things can still happen, right? But it's important to also, uh, you know, if you get, get familiar with the gear that you wear, the, the coat, the, the jacket, whatever that is. And even in a zipped up configuration, you know, I demonstrated this a little bit, I believe, in the Shooter Ray Challenge video where even zipped up my, my jacket that I happen to wear the most of, uh, I, you know, it's not as easy, but I can still grasp it and rip it up uh, and, and, you know, get some access to my gun. So uh, familiarize yourself with that, what that's like and what you can and cannot do. The other thing is, let's talk a little bit about gloves. This is this is something that you know people often wonder about, um, and I'll, I'll give you know some of my thoughts, Matthew, and then certainly I want to hear uh, what yours are. But again, I like to try to operate minimums, meaning that I try to wear the least restrictive glove possible based on the weather conditions and uh, activities that I will be engaging in. I have two primary gloves that I like to wear in the cooler weather. One of those, and they're actually both from a company called Patrol Incident Gear, uh, or also abbreviated as PIG, uh, PIG Gear. Kind of funny. Patrol Incident Gear. Uh, they, and they, they jokingly know that and refer to them as PIG gloves a lot of times. Um, they're not made from you know, pigs, <laughs> just so you know, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're not leather gloves. They're kosher. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, but patrol incident gear makes some really good quality stuff. And in fact, my good buddy, Chuck Pressburg has a glove that he co-designed with them, uh, that, uh, uh, proceeds, or at least some of the proceeds from buying that glove goes to, uh, Oh, it's a, it's a nonprofit and based in Texas, Warrior Warrior something. I'll look this up here in a moment. Uh, wonderful nonprofit. Uh, Chuck, is, you know, dear friend of mine, and he designed these gloves, and they're great gloves, and and they're really intended for, uh, you know, for like duty wear or you know for like a, a range glove or something that you might wear if you were deployed overseas. You know, they're 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 a a tactical type glove. Um, I, I, but I don't mind the way they look. I think they look, you know, quite nice. Uh, not necessarily, in my opinion, overly tactical, uh, at least to the, you know, unsuspecting eye. Uh, but th- they're not insulated in any way, but they just sometimes add enough of a layer there that I, you know, I could typically wear them down to, uh, depending on how long I'm going to be ex- exposed, but I'll wear them down to, you know, 20, 25 degrees a lot of times. In fact, I, I was wearing them when I was snowshoeing a couple of years back in some pretty, you know, relatively cold weather, probably 15, 18 degrees, uh, so, you know, light snow falling. I was up at a pretty good elevation hiking into uh, uh, to a particular location in the mountains. 
uh, with snowshoes. But, you know, it's a physical activity. I obviously had some heavier duty gloves with me as well in case I needed them. But while keeping the heart rate up, you know, they were they were perfect for, uh, for that level of uh, temperature at that time. Uh, but I also have another pair of patrol incident gloves, patrol incident gear gloves that uh, are insulated. Um, not heavily so, but Man, they they they're pretty comfortable for me, even right down to zero. Sometimes even sub-zero temperatures, depending again on uh, what the level of physical activity there is. Uh, but in typical, like in in Colorado where I'm at, it usually doesn't get much colder than ten degrees. You know, even on the the the, the, the colder days at night. Uh, if I get up in the morning, you know, before the sun comes up, need to go outside, do anything, do some work, uh, get in the car, run some errands, whatever. Uh, usually those gloves are more than adequate for what I need. But the best part of all is all the gear that patrol incident gear uh, designs, they, they, they try to design it with functionality in mind as far as being able to, to fire a carbine, fire a pistol, um, touch screen sensitive, you know, so I can still use them with my, my electronic devices and things of that nature. So that, that's actually what I use in, as far as gloves, really, really heavy gloves, ski gloves, you know, true winter gloves generally are not going to be your friend where it comes to needing to access uh, a gun, draw it, and use it in defense. So, you know, I try to, I, I've, I've, you know, tried a number of different th- things over the years, but I'm really happy with uh, the gear I've selected from Patrol Incident Gear. And uh, I almost don't need anything else through the course of a normal winter uh, be- besides those two sets of gloves that I wear. Wow. Yeah. I'll have to check those out because, um, you know, I, I think in here, here's some, I, I agree with everything you said. And I think that um, some pointers for, for, you know, for wearing gloves is like with anything, there is going to be a trade-off, right? Like the thicker and warmer and like, you know, uh, type glove, you're going to have less dexterity and it may not even fit in, 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 into the, uh, the trigger, the trigger guard of your gun. I, I, and I'm, you know, most people understand this and, but I, I have had students show up to classes, um, entry level classes, and I'm in Ohio and sometimes in the winter with gloves that are not even compact, like they couldn't even put their finger in the trigger guard. And so that's, that's obviously, you know, a no, a no go. Um, but my, my kind of, I don't allow brand new students to come and start manipulating the gun with gloves on for the first time. Like if they're brand new, this is the first time they've held a gun. Um, if that's the first time you, 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 you know, you've had uh, held a gun, or you're going to a class, pra- dry fire practice with your gloves on before you get to any sort of class. Um, it, you know, because it, it does reduce no matter how great they are. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm going to, I was looking at, at that website when you were talking, um, you know, I, and I want to, I want to get a pair of those, but um, you, you do have some diminished, you know, dexterity and, and, um, and if your hands are cold, right. So those things do, do play a, a role. And so it, it, it can become a safety issue if you haven't ever practiced using your guns and stuff like that. So, um, you know, one tip, get a glove that, you know, balances your level, like wherever climate you live in, um, and your ability, right. Some people are cold, you know, get colder than others. Um, and, um, and your ability to manipulate the gun, make sure that you can 
manipulate the gun, magazine release, rack the slide, all that kind of stuff um, that you can draw it, you can clear your cover garments, all that. Um, I like the fact that you brought up the the touchscreen thing because not only is it inconvenient if you can't touch screen, but imagine being in a critical incident, right? And and you get your your phone out and you're trying to make a call or nine one one call or whatever, and you know maybe you didn't even use your gun yet, but you're trying to make a you know nine one one call or something, and now you got to take your glove. It's just one extra layer of things. So um, convenience wise, and I, I think it's you know also a little bit safer. Um, across the board trying to make emergency call. I know you can use Siri and stuff. I I don't use it. I have it turned off. That's just me. But um but yeah, so um but yeah, I, I, I think those are those are considerations. Practice, uh vet your you know, get a get a good glove that balances, you know, it, it you know, uh, um warmth and still provides you that dexterity. Yeah, so I was looking it up here, and the uh, two gloves I mentioned from uh, Patrol Incident Gear are actually uh, marketed by uh, SKD Tactical. You can find them at skdtac.com, skdtac.com. And uh, the one is the Press Check Assault Glove. That's the one that uh, Chuck Pressburg designed. And the other, it, they just call the Cold Weather Glove. Uh, it's Pig F- FDT Cold Weather Glove. And again, you know, just looking at it, especially at the cold weather glove, you wouldn't, you know, know that it's anything particularly, you know, tactical looking or anything like that. Um, it's just a decent insulated uh, gloves. Got, got some nice, you know, both of these gloves have some material on the fingers and palms uh, that, you know, gives you some tack, gives you some, you know, ability to grab, to grip and things don't slip through your, your uh, hands so easily. Uh, again, touchscreen compatible, all of that. And uh, yeah, but still allow you to, I've, I've fired my guns from uh, using both of these gloves. In fact, was just in a class in Alabama uh, near Huntsville over this last weekend, uh, assisting Tim Heron and working alongside AJ Zito. And it was pretty cold, especially in the mornings. In the beginning part of the mornings, you know, it was about 25, 27 degrees, so below freezing. And, uh, you know, a couple of times uh, I, you know, fired a couple of rounds out of with one of my guns using the uh, cold weather glove and it's not ideal. You know, you're definitely not as, as dexterous, dexterous. <laughs> I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> you're not as dexterous as, uh, as, as you normally are, but uh, certainly can get the job done and it's better than nothing. Yeah. It's better than, you know, having like the alternative is having, and this is, this is Throws important to talk about too, but yeah, if your hands are cold, uh, that's even more damaging to your dexterity. And uh, yeah, that could be a big problem. So some good things to consider there. Yeah, for sure. What else have we missed or haven't talked about uh, at this point, Matthew? Maybe we can uh, just circle back. There was one thing that uh, popped in my head as we were talking about hoodies. Um, there is a consideration, you know, about drawstrings, you know, some people make a big deal out of it. I'm of the the idea that like you probably don't want a lot of things that in a fight somebody could grab. Certainly, the hoodie um, is not it. It gives you in in a fight, right? Um, it gives an attacker one more thing that they can grab on and and, and maybe control you with. Um, certainly, you can swim out of uh, out of a garment like that and, and all kinds of stuff. But consider those things. Um, you know. A, um, you know, the, the drawstrings around your, around your hoodie, um, 
you, I take those out. Um, consider jackets. You know, I think there's a safety issue with um, sometimes if you are carrying outside waistband, even inside waistband, but um, you particularly see this with, you know, um, duty holsters and outside the waistband holsters um, issues where, you know, those drawstrings and those little barrel locks on, on drawstrings get, get caught up inside the holster. Um, so all those types of things, you know, look at your gear. Um, and, and since it's something that you, that you don't wear regularly, right. May, in the wintertime you wear it regularly, but um, if, if it's something brand new, you get a jacket for Christmas or sweater for Christmas or something like that. Um, you know, make sure that it's compatible with the gear that you're, you know, you're, you're how you carry your firearm and all that. And you make any modifications. So you're not, uh, at, you know, undue risk of, of, of some sort of negligent discharge or something. I, I'm actually really glad you brought that up. Uh, I witnessed a very near, I mean, it didn't quite happen, but it was super sketchy of uh, a very near negligent discharge in a class uh, a number of years ago, actually a law enforcement academy. Uh, we were in cold weather, everybody, you know, wearing extra layers. Uh, you got to really watch those tassels and pull tabs and different things like that, zippers, uh, all of that on your gear. And, uh, you know, anybody, any of your experienced cops typically know this uh, or just experienced folks in general, you know, that are, that are aware of these the potential of these sorts of things a lot of times we'll cut this stuff off uh, because those, those those things can be super super dangerous but we yeah, I, I watched somebody go back to the holster and actually get a the tassel you know from like a zipper or whatever mm. uh, go into their trigger guard and amazingly it went behind the trigger uh, but yeah I, I wouldn't have noticed anything except that they were like trying to holster and it didn't quite you know, they're like, oh, what's going on? It's not going in the holster. And then somebody, you know, I, I somebody drew attention to it. And I turned and looked and, went, oh, shoot. I could have been really bad if it had been in front of the trigger. So, yeah. well, good, man. Uh, I appreciate your insight today. I think this is a good discussion to have. Uh, certainly timely. We still have, you know, some, some more colder weather uh, before, you know, the spring and summer uh, is upon us. And so, folks, I hope you'll take this into consideration and give things a try, practice a lot of what we've discussed. Head on over to ShootArrayChallenge.com and watch the video there that I posted up last week uh, with regards to uh, uh, this most recent ShootArray Challenge topic. And, uh, you know, get to work and see what you can do and, you know, give, give all this some thought. All of it's super important. Uh, it's not all about, you know, we don't get to just, we don't get to pick and choose uh, the day and time and weather conditions and all that of our, of our fight. Okay. Uh, it'll pick and choose us potentially. And uh, we got to be ready no matter what the circumstances are. So try to plan for all these things in advance as much as you can and doing the work in advance, you know, ahead of time, it's going to make the difference. Today's episode again, yeah. sponsored by, LaserApp.com, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. Check out. You can still get Laser Classic Edition if you want to run it on a Windows-based machine. Uh, also, the Laser X version, which requires an internet connection and a web browser. But in my opinion, it's my choice because it works 
on my iPad, my, my computer, my laptop here, my iPhone, even the, in fact, the most recent one, uh, I did the entirely with my, my cell phone, uh, which is nice that it has that ability to be able to do that. Uh, laserapp.com. Also today's episode sponsored by barrelblock.com. That's barrelblock with a K B A R R E L B L O K.com and readyupgear.com where you can find things like the laser dot trainer and a variety of other, uh, dry fire, uh, you know, resources, uh, tools, uh, equipment, but also other accessories, uh, hearing protection, and, and the like. Head on over to readyupgear.com. Check out the full line of products there. And we appreciate your, your support of our sponsors and of the of our various uh, associated companies. Make it possible to do what we do here with the Concealed Carry Podcast. And hope you enjoyed the episode today, guys. Feel free to always reach out to us at uh, podcast at concealedcarry.com. It's the best place to reach us. If you'd like to share anything with us, uh, we'll do our best to respond to you there using the email. And yeah, I think that's it. Matthew, appreciate it as always. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, today is uh, Rob Beckman of the uh, Firearm Trainers Podcast. It's his birthday today. So go, if you're listening to this today, go on the Firearm Trainers Podcast. Wish him a happy birthday. If not, do it whenever you hear this. That's awesome, dude. He'll, he'll enjoy that. Yeah, I must have missed that in my uh, in my calendar. Facebook feed. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday, Rob Beckman. Well, folks, until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. <laughs>